Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown, just brought to you by our good friends at TickPick.com. Make sure you go there today to TickPick.com slash breakdown, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com to get that $10 off your first order by going to TickPick.com today, tomorrow, whenever you get your next Browns tickets. Make sure you use them, get that $10 off. You won't find a better site to take advantage of the price you see at the beginning is the price you see at the end. You don't get those unnecessary ridiculous fees, and they will match up to 110% of a difference if you find a cheaper ticket on another site. Take advantage of TickPick.com breakdown. Get $10 off your first use. Okay, so we're going to shift. We're going to start a, a little reminder before we begin. Not a reminder, but maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you did. I'm kind of taking a step away from Twitter. Um, as far as being readily available, got a nine to five that I need to focus on a lot. And the toxicity in Brown's Twitter is, um, you know, from both sides, from both sides is out of control. Um, you know, people going after each other personally, just not, it's not a safe space, not a healthy space for a lot of people and is doing me more detriment with anything that I put out than anything good. Like I can post a couple great plays from Baker, post a couple bad plays and people just from both sides come after me. It's not worth it anymore. I think you guys know to come find my opinion on the podcast. Going to continue to do this thing every day. Going to continue to be on the OBR all the time. So you know, that's where you can find me. That's the place to find me. And I don't think uh, Twitter, where I, you know, made my account private because I'm just tired of dealing with people. Sorry, dealing with the negativity, the arguing to just argue. Just want to make sure that that's clear where you can find stuff. If you're so interested in, um, you know, Measly Jake's opinion, you can find it there. Um, otherwise, I'm uh, going to try to start every one of these with my thought of the day, something Browns related typically. The thought of today is something that keeps popping up as a means to the future of the Cleveland Browns. I don't know who needs to hear this, um, but you don't have to look at the Browns quarterbacks of the past or situations of the past and make a threat to the future. You know, the 1-31 and and the terrible quarterbacks that the Browns have had in the past have no bearing on the future decisions that they will make. And it's, if it's a means of, like, threatening people, well, it could be worse. Okay, well, I don't think this front office is going to make it worse, right? And I don't think that just because you've had a bunch of terrible decision makers and a terrible quarterback situation in the past means you have to settle for mediocrity uh, in the current state of things. Like you can have higher aspirations than that. And just because of failed regimes in the past and failed quarterbacks in the past doesn't have any bearing on the future. So that's a thought I need to get out there. Like quit saying, well, they, they and it's like, you know, I, I think Rich Eisen seems like a good enough dude, but stop, stop saying there's, it could be worse. Like we know we've seen it, man. We get it. We're not clamoring to cut Baker Mayfield. It's like Baker might work out. He might not. We don't know yet. You know, we don't know yet, but quit trying to like threaten people who, who have like aspirations for better quarterback play. 
that's an okay thing to have by saying, well, you could have Charlie Fry or you could have Brady Quinn. Like, come on, man. That has no bearing on what you're hoping for with a roster that's pretty dang good and is struggling with quarterback play and has a huge decision to make there. Just, I don't, you know, I don't need, you don't need to do that. It just, you're like, you're just like, craving attention when you do that that's what everybody is posting like being grateful for baker mayfield because they've done you know he brought them from one and third no there's a bunch of people that did that and you're just giving the quarterback credit is the weirdest thing to me okay again baker could work out he could not i don't know he's not playing well right now but he's had some stretches of glimpse that have given us a glimpse of what he could be you know it could work out i don't know but quit trying to like claim that it's like the past has a bearing on the future here. It's just a, it's a weird thing you're doing for attention, in my opinion, to try to get people to uh, to support your cause or something. It's just strange. Strange. Anyway, we're going to talk real quick about the offense from this game, which was absolutely miserable. Um, their, their personnel, which I'm going to write up for the morning by lunchtime, the Browns' personnel is crazy to me. It's all over the board. Um they have a very significant lead in 13 personnel, like a jarring lead on anybody else. I'm talking almost three times as many usages of uh, uh, snaps of 13 personnel. So in this game, you know, it's, it's it was 11 personnel 28 times, 12 personnel 14 times, 13 personnel only 12 times, 21 personnel five times, 22 personnel seven times. They ran motion on 33 of 66 snaps. That's pretty standard for them. But like, what was amazing to me looking at the data when I look at Sports Info Solutions, who does a great job with this, the Browns have run 134 13 personnel snaps. That's by far the most in the NFL. The second highest is Tennessee with 55. That's a jarring, jarring number. They've thrown the ball again. Let's just look at this, and again, I'm going to have it written up at the OBR, but if I'm looking at just the throwing data from the Browns compared to um, you know, the second-highest team or whatever, if you look at throwing data, the Browns sit uh, 48 pass attempts out of 13 personnel, the next highest, 17. Out of 13 personnel running attempts, 84 run attempts, the second-highest, 45. So they're living in 13 personnel. Now, injuries to wide receivers, I get it. They they have shuffled guys in and out. Jarvis has been hurt. Odell missed the beginning portions of the year. DPJ in and out. The reasoning is obvious. But if you're looking for like a lack of explosive pass plays, I don't think you have to look much further than that. You know, you're not going to get a ton of downfield explosives when you're running a ton of 13 personnel. There are benefits to it. They do things pretty well, and they're actually pretty efficient throwing the ball when they're in 13 personnel. I actually think they're 34 of 48 passing attempts-wise, uh, all the way up 575 yards, significantly more than anybody else, and two touchdowns, no interceptions. So they're fine. It's just a, a thing that you got to talk about. with like They're doing something that is wholly unique and they were not doing anywhere near as much last year now last year they did lead the nfl uh, I, I believe they ended up leading the nfl in 13 personnel but last year if you're looking at weeks one through 17 for the whole year they ran 143 and right now they're sitting at 137 so they are significantly higher what they've cut down is their 12 personnel you know the 12 personnel stuff is 284 12 personnel snaps last year and if you look at it this year, 
the 12 personnel numbers down to 117, so they're not going to get close. They're actually 22nd in the NFL in 12 personnel and 28th in 11 personnel. So low numbers, and 13 personnel is really high, and it's unique across the board. In this game, Baker Mayfield had a couple great throws. He had a third down, 13 throw for 17 yards to Rashard Higgins, posted that clip. He had another great throw. Uh, which ended up with two big-time throws. One was that ball to Higgins. The other was a corner route to Jamarcus Bradley that I posted, which was a fantastic throw uh, where he kind of manipulated the corner to get him to bite on the first layer of the concept, the me- the medium. Um, you know, it's probably probably a 10 to 15-yard out, and the corner he hit at about 45 yards on a line. Great throw. Great throw and proves that the arm is still more than capable. The problem is he struggled against pressure, 1 of 6 for 3 yards when blitzed, 0 of 6 on the game when blitz period, had an interception against the blitz, uh, which is a 25.2 grade, and then a 48, uh, sorry, a 59.2 under pressure grade. Um, when he was not blitzed, he was relatively fine, a 72.6, but a 48.0 clean when he was untouched in the pocket. He had two interceptions, 173 yards, 14 of 23, and... Uh, 15 of 29 on the day, a buck 76, two interceptions and a touchdown. Again, we're back to the same thing with May- with Mayfield. It's the lack of consistency, missing easy, easy throws that that NFL quarterbacks across the league are making, and then also coupling in those big time throws where you're like, okay, that's a glimpse of who I think he could be, and that's why it gets really frustrating. I've gone on and on about the injuries. Not going to do it again. Talked about it with Jordan Zerm last night. If you want to hear my opinion, it's all very weird. There's precipitation on the ground in Cleveland in the game. I get that. That's how it's going to be in Cleveland, though. So if you're going to use that as a crutch, I think that's wrong because this is Cleveland. This is the weather. You have to be able to perform. It's not a one-off. It's it's November, December, January, Cleveland, Ohio football weather. And, you know, that can't be a crutch. Now, the injuries, that's fine. I've talked about it, gone through it, given my opinion on it. Just not going to do it again. So the only other thing that's worth really talking about as we kind of conclude the, the the notes on Mayfield, is this information put out by Ian Harditz on Twitter, where he had noted that according to the Browns, according to the PFF metrics, have the single lowest catchable pass rate on targets to wide receivers deemed open or wide open. And that tells you quite a bit about the season and why the offense is off, why they're putting up fewer points, why the quarterback play is failing, and why you feel like the Browns can't score. They're missing the layup plays. They're missing the wide-open throws. There were more of those misses again on Sunday. And if you're wondering, like, you know, you're frustrated about the Browns' offense and you're picking certain things, well, you have to talk about how they're missing the wide-open throws. That's something Mayfield has seemingly been pretty good at in his career. Okay, at least. When, you know, granted he's been playing in his in his quality stretches, but that statistic, single statistic about this offense, which creates open throws to receivers, if they're open or wide open, they have the single lowest catchable pass rate on targets to those players. That uh, That's a problem, guys, and that's why the Browns' offense is stuck in motion and can't go anywhere. So I thought the line protected pretty well for the day. Uh, if we look at passing, sorry, if we look at... Uh, grade specific to pass protection, uh, the pass blocking numbers. Uh, looks like here there were 33 dropbacks for the group. The only guy who struggled was Blake Hansu, but he only gave up two hurries, two pressures on the day, 42.4. Everybody else kept him clean except for one hurry from Jed. Sorry, one quarterback hit from Jedrick Wills. 
but 89.2 from Batonio, 72.8 from Teller, 86.0 from J.C. Treader, 79.8 from, uh, sorry, Jedrick Will. So, yeah, really good across the board. Wyatt Teller did have uh, a lower grade on true pass sets where he had a 61.9, but still really good pass blocking on the day. As far as receiving grades go, the group was led by Nick Chubb, who had a receiving grade of 72.4 and 17 pass snaps. Not wildly productive, but two catches for 14 yards. David Njoku went for 71.8 grade. He had two catches on four targets for 20 yards. Jamarcus Bradley, 46 yards. He went two for two on targets to catches. Thought he was fine. Nice job stepping in. Austin Hooper. Four catches on six targets, 53 yards, one of his more productive days, but he did have a drop. And then Rashard Higgins had one catch on four targets for 17 yards. Jarvis Landry, four catches on eight targets, 26 yards. But those there were a lot of throws to Jarvis that were missed. The interception airmail, he missed him on a wide-open basic route over the middle, and he missed him on a stem release post or a glance route that would have given Jarvis at least, I mean, I'm telling you, that there would have been really, really productive yards there that could have pushed him into the 80 to 90 territory where Mayfield just missed him. So I'm not going to blame Jarvis for that for that issue right there. So run blocking grades for this game, uh, pretty solid all around, especially in the gap phase, which again, the Browns double up uh, over 50% more gap blocking snaps, 76.5 for Teller. 65.6 for Batonio, Hans 82.7, 84.5, sorry, 82.7 for Treader, and then the only guy who struggled in the run phase from a high-volume snap percentage along the offensive line is Jedrick Wills, who was a 58.1, but even though he he was still serviceable. Um, so that's your, you know, your offensive line grades there. Austin Hooper had a nice day in the blocking phase, 70.7 in run blocking grade in the gap schemes, 84.5 for Higgins when he was near, and Joku 72.8. Again, the Browns are, you know, hit or miss in zone. The standouts were Teller. I thought Wyatt Teller was phenomenal, even though he had a couple penalties. He had one penalty in that phase, uh, the run phase, that block in the back. Still had a nice game. Hans continues to run block well a 75.6 in zone, and then Batonio with an 81.0. Nick Chubb, welcome back, 22 carries, a buck 30. Thought he was pretty dang good. His rushing grade in this one was a 79.9. He had six missed tackles forced. He had a whopping seven 10-plus yard carries. He ran 15 gap schemes to only six zone schemes. He's so fluid in terms of what scheme he can handle. Ran for a buck 30, and... Um, just, just a great, a great game in the game. They needed him to be really good. 76 yards after contact for Nick in the game. Dearness Johnson also graded out well in 82.3. He ran five times for 26 yards, made three missed tackles happen though, which is always nice, right? Turning 13, uh, sorry, 30 yards after contact out rushing what the total was because you make somebody miss near the line of scrimmage. So thought Dearness played pretty well. Jarvis also had a 16 yard touchdown run. Um, you know, exciting play, making something out of nothing on a busted trick play that that the Lions uh, seem to feel out pretty good. You know, they took away all the options, and Jarvis just happened to find a seam and snuck his way up the middle to, uh, you know, that that's, again, that's a winning play. Make a play, and he made a play when they needed somebody to make a play. So kudos to him. Uh, overall, offensively, a lot of guys played well. They They played well up front. They played well in the backfield at the running back position. Some of the wide receivers that I thought played well. I thought tight end played well. But in this game, 
you know, some day, some games you're the hero, some games you're the goat, and um, you know, not the good goat. Uh, Baker Mayfield was the problem. He held them back. He missed too many opportunities, and they only scored 13 points. And the game became a game that they could actually lose. You know, if not for holding, you know, Detroit to a field goal to make it 13-10. If they score a touchdown there when when Baker turned it over in his own territory on an errant high throw that gets tipped, then you know, the Lions could have scored there to make it 14-13, and who knows if the Browns ever put themselves in position again. So they overcame it. They overcame the poor quarterback play. You can have your opinion on his walking off, skipping the media stuff. I don't like it, but have your opinion on it. But they got to get better quarterback play, and I don't think that's in any way a secret. Whether you're a big, huge Baker supporter or not, whoever they're playing, if it's Baker continued, they have to get better play from him or they're never going to go anywhere. And it's going to be a tough, tough last half of the season. So hopefully that quarterback play turns around. That's all for your offensive breakdown. Uh, We will have some information on that 13 personnel stuff coming tomorrow, but that's it. If you have any questions, fire them over in the Ask the Insider section at the OBR. We'll be more than happy to answer them. We're going to now go over to our interview with Cameron Justice. She's She's a beat writer for the Cleveland Browns. Does a great job. She is one of the best doing it. And we talk about a ton of different things. Media coverage in Cleveland and uh, angles about why fans feel the way they do about it. Talk about the offense, too. I really wanted to get her opinion on Baker, her opinion on some of the decisions surrounding playing him, and then the differences in what this offense looks like, where it can go, whether it can get better, and then kind of lastly talking about some of the more important questions looming over the, uh, the second half of the year for this group. So let's get over to our interview with Cameron right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, welcoming in Cameron Justice. Cameron, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm well. I can't really complain all too much. I could try, you know, but I'm not allowed to be grumpy about many things, according to those who, uh, you know, pay attention to the Browns. They won, right? They won, which is which is great. They did win. But there's there's some drama floating. I'll start. I have a, I have a bevy of questions for you. I will start with. I like having somebody around the team, close to the team, asking questions 
because I think you can get a you can get a temperature that not many people can when they just hop online and read you know read tweets, secondhand tweets, all that stuff. So where where is I'll start general. You've covered this team different years. Is this is there a feeling of like true toxicity going on, or do you think it's just maybe a little bit? Um, I guess amplified by what social media can do sometimes, or do you think that there's some hostility going on between different? Le- Cause you know, that last week it was the coaches were getting kind of called out by the players. Then there's some things going on about why certain players are playing. Maybe they shouldn't be, I guess I'm just, just gauging amongst what you've seen. Are you concerned about the chemistry of the team? That sort of stuff. You know, I'm not. And it's, I will say, I think things are, like you said, amplified online. I think it's very easy to take a quote or two or take a segment and kind of run away with it in your mind um, of, you know, what they're talking about, read into it a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, I don't think it's perfect right now. I do think there are uh, some, a little bit of messiness. There's a little bit of messiness going on within uh, the team. And the organization, nowhere near <laughs> what we've seen in the past, of course. Uh, and nothing that's out of control and out of the realm of, you know, an, an easy fix. And they say it all day long that, you know, winning solves everything. I don't think that necessarily rang true on Sunday against the Lions because that wasn't the win that they should have had. Maybe not, it didn't look the way that it probably should have. And I think that was very frustrating. But I think that's that's what it is more so than anything is frustration. I think a lot of players are frustrated with their own performances, with mm-hmm. their performances as uh, in units. Um, uh, different positions are, you know, are frustrated with their performance uh, across the board and trying to motivate each other to be better. And sometimes it plays out, and then you get you get those games like the Bengals game where everything is firing on all cylinders and it looks great, uh, and then you follow that up with the game against the Patriots and everything looked horrible and everything fell apart. And I think that just having so so many different looks this season, how so many different performances across the board and across the roster, like good, bad, mediocre. It's hard to pinpoint where this team is. And there's so many different areas in which they have to grow. I think that is a, a, is a frustrating thing for them. And I think that's kind of those vibes that you're getting uh, frustrated with themselves and, and frustrated, I think a little bit um, with their, with each other. I, and you've seen players like, call coaches out, like you said, and even call some players out about stepping up and executing and being better. Miles Garrett is a very vocal leader and he's not afraid and he doesn't shy away from saying, you know what, we're putting pressure on. We got, we got to step up. We got to execute. I need, we need guys to be make plays behind us. If we're putting pressure on, you got to do your coverage. And I think sometimes when you hear that, it sounds like the locker room is lost and all that. And I think it's really because last year we saw with Kevin Stefanski, everything was very closed up, buttoned up, tight lip, no leaks, no drama, just and it helped that they did really well towards the end, like at the end of the season, of course. But everything was very buttoned up, and and you're getting a little bit more, you know, feedback from players during press conferences uh, and on social media, and you're seeing more than you saw last year. And it feels like maybe the team is like losing that sense of 
keep things in house in the sense that they had last year that was like so much different from Browns of the past. But I don't think that it's to the point where, you know, it's the locker room is lost or, you know, it's so toxic and this can't ever come back. But I do think that there are decisions that are being made and that have, have been made and that maybe not everybody on the team is necessarily on board with, Mm -hmm. but I, I think that in that sense that they they might not be on board and they might show a little bit of frustration here or there. But overall, I think when it comes to the, you know, the brotherhood that they've said that they've had, I don't think that is lost. I think sometimes their frustration just outweighs things and they feel compelled almost to talk about it. And we didn't see that last year. And so it seems like dysfunction, but I think they do a really good job after to kind of get back on track and try try to make sure that the toxicity doesn't spread uh you know to a point where it's not fixable anymore i think to your point kind of about the the social media craze i I know this is a little a little off topic but like I, i mean to me it's interesting there's a level of hate for the Browns beat coverage. And I just want to get your opinion on it. I, I I don't know. It come it doesn't come from everybody. I think there are a lot of really level-minded people who understand like the job description here and what you guys are supposed to do and, and how it how it how it goes. But like uh there was a quote early in the year, like Malik Jackson uh is a good example. I think he had said to you, you had asked a question about what what the young guys need to uh to do to be ready i think i don't know if you recall this quote but it was like what do the young guys need to do to be ready and the the quote was kind of built around eat sleep and breathe football and if you're not doing that then you're you're wrong and people saw the 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 answer and thought that he was calling somebody out specific when you're asking a general question that's why it can get really dangerous with these quotes that's kind of why i wanted to ask you the opening question but i mean like what like as you as you started to really pivot to doing this all the time and, and covering them as a beat writer where, where where do you think the the hatred comes from or the 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 i don't know if it's hatred but it's just constant complaining about the media coverage and to me it's like what 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 do you what do you want people to ask i guess it's like how do you deal with it and do you notice that it's uncomfortable at times trying to like report what is being done around the like i don't know how to how to frame this question it's a sensitive question like and- yeah, people I, think that you guys and I'm saying you guys because I'm not a beat writer. I mean, I'm not Fred Greetham covers them for like they think there's drumming up the controversy or, or whatever. And that's not the goal of what you guys are doing. Just asking relevant questions. You're going to ask every question angle possible. Like, I'm just kind of curious, is it overwhelming at times? And, and why do you think it is that way? I mean, it definitely is overwhelming, especially, you know, I mean, and let me let me start off by saying. I understand criticism and I take criticism all day long. Like I will, I I would love the, I like the feedback. I like to hear, you know, Oh, I want this. I don't like this. Like, I think that helps anyone be better in anything they're doing is constructive (laughs) feedback and, and taking that. Um, And so, you know, if someone, someone complaining about a question, if you don't like it, I, I can't stop you. I can't think that I can't stop you from that being your opinion. I can use that in a way to help me better the way I ask questions. And that's for me always a goal. I always want to be, I always want to be better. Why wouldn't I? And I think, I mean, most people are that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is this, 
strange hatred uh, for for Cleveland media. And honestly, as, as much as I say uh, hatred for Cleveland media, just media as a, as a whole. And I think overall, the reason that it's so easy for people to be upset about the media is not, I mean, this is not to take away anyone's opinion of something being bad or not liking anyone because you can't make like, you can't make people like uh, you. And for every person that likes you, there's going to be one that doesn't. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I do think, though, that it's very easy to, when something isn't going right or you don't like to see something, I think it's very easy to blame the media because they're not fans of the media. There's not a fan base for Cleveland media. There is a fan base for the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns fans want to be fans of the team. And who, who wants anything negative? Nobody wants to see anything negative. And, and so rather than be mad at a, a player that you're, you know, you're cheering for a team that you're cheering for, I think it's easier to be mad about how something is framed about, the answer, and so if you don't like the answer, then it's easy to blame the media for asking the question at all, which, I mean, is not fair because those same questions, if they answered it differently and, you know, someone looking at that answer liked it, mm -hmm. they would praise you for asking that question. And I think it's a lot easier said than done is to ask the perfect question every day, all the time. And I mean, yeah, sometimes questions are not asked well. I myself have, you know, I stumble over questions sometimes and, you know, I kick myself afterwards like oh, I could have asked that so much better. So, no, not everything is perfect. It's just like everything. I mean, everyone who has a job probably is not perfect every single day that they are at their job. A mistake happens here, something they could have done better there, a way they could have approached something differently. That's just part of it. Uh, but I do think I do think what you were saying, I think it is. I, I think there is this hatred and it's not it's uncomfortable. Always. It's uncomfortable yeah, at times. It, it, it really, it really is. And for me, I think most recently uh, what I saw of that, you know, I, I got drug on social media and it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I've like, I mean, I live with it. I never want to see it. Don't love negative flooding in my mentions, but um, with the Jarvis Landry uh, answer about not getting the ball a lot, it was a valid question, and I think what people also don't understand is how media works. I think that people think that there's just this like unlimited, unfiltered, unbridled access to everything, which is not the case. You know, the the Jarvis Landry thing in particular, he was asked about, you know, his his involvement in the offense. He wasn't getting the ball a lot, and actually, he was he was honestly he was asked about his injury and how that was playing out for him that knee injury and if it was limiting him and he offered up the answer you know I'm not getting the ball a lot either so that's probably also why I don't have a lot of production and then follow-up questions were asked and I know a lot of people didn't like the setting in which it was asked because it was at his Thanksgiving food drive um I didn't ask the question but I, it was a valid question and and I posted the answer and, and I got drugged because why would anyone ask this at this event well I mean, yeah, I can, and I see both sides of it, but you also, I think one of the reasons why media gets so much hate is that there's this lack of understanding about how things work. Um, Jarvis Landry was not made available to speak with. He, he wasn't spoken to by media mm -hmm. before that event. 
there was about almost two weeks without hearing from Jarvis Landry. And there was a lot of things to talk to Jarvis Landry about and a lot of things that, you know, people wanted to know. People, fans wanted to know. Fans wanted to hear. These are questions that are being asked by fans. You know, where, why is Jarvis Landry not in the mix? What is, oh, I can't, like, is Jarvis Landry going to be hurt by the Odell Beckham Jr. news? These are questions that fans want to hear. And I understand, you know, when you hear an answer and you're not totally in love with how it sounds and, and maybe how they came off in the answer, I think it's easy to be mad and you know, target something. Like, why would you even ask this now? But if that wasn't asked now, we, we don't know when Jarvis Landry will be made available. So I think these are valid questions. And I think I think a lot of this hate is just a lack of understanding of and, and not by any fault of their own. It's just you have this perception of how things work and it isn't always the case. I, you know, I'm learning a lot of how things work. Even you and me, I've been doing this for a couple of years and still things are like how the processes work and how, you know, how it works to be in journal. Journalism works as a whole. I think it's a learning process and it's a lot easier to see that when you're doing it. Uh, but, you know, before I was doing this, I mean, I'll admit I did, I had no idea how some of this worked. And I think that's kind of what fuels it too is, you know, you have all these expectations of, oh, why don't you just do this? Why wouldn't you ask him that? Why don't why don't you like pull him one on one? And that's just like not how the, it works anymore or at all. And I think that that fuels it, too. But yeah, you have to like you have to ask you have to ask the team to give you access to a player one on one, which isn't always guaranteed. You don't get the best players all the time. So if like you request Jarvis, you might not you're likely not going to get him. For any of those big name guys, you can get some of the smaller name guys. This this was my exposure to it, and then like you, you, I think people think that like local beat coverage, people have like their numbers and can text them and call. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the only people that these guys give scoops to are the national people. It's just it's just like the way it works anymore. And I'm not talking about just for Cleveland. It's everywhere. It's very rare that people just have. You could get Jarvis Landry for five to ten minutes the entire month of November, right? Like. Mm It's crazy to think that, like, so if there's an event like this there where Jarvis is, you know, the team's not around him, he's can he can just openly answer my questions, of course you're going to go and ask some questions about how he feels about his best friend being traded, how his emotions are about the team this year. Like, I just, I think you're spot on when you say people th- have a misconception about how much access the coverage gets on a daily basis, period. And that leads to a lot of unnecessary hatred it leads to a lot of unnecessary um take your anger out on the brown season on me type of stuff and it's uncomfortable so i really wanted to get your opinion on it because i don't know if we shed light on it maybe it'll change the way people look at it the way people think about it and give a second chance or not a second chance but a second thought before firing off that grumpy tweet you know like you guys are trying, you know, you're, you're trying and, and it's not easy. It's not easy. You don't get the access you used to all those years ago where, you know, you didn't have the number, a cell phone number of a national media. Everything that was newsworthy came from like, you know, the people around the team who visited the locker room and talked to these guys and had one-on-one time with them. And it's just so different than it used to be, you know, when you covered the, the eighties or the nineties Browns, it's just, uh, I think people miss that. And I wanted to, I wanted to touch on it, but um, let's transition a little bit here to, to, to what's going on with Baker. So it's pretty obvious to me that he wants to play. And although there are times where he's hurting the group more than helping, it is 
let me let me frame it this way. I want you to answer it openly. Who do you think is making the decision that Baker's going to play regardless? Because Kevin Stefanski catches a lot of the blame for him playing, almost like he's like putting him out in the gladiator arena and saying, hey, man, you got no choice. You're going to go play. It seems like it's a decision from a lot of people, uh, partially led by Baker. And I'm just sort of curious if if you sense that there's dissension around whether he should be playing or not from those who are covering or, you know, at least – the important figures in the Browns. Yeah, I do. I think it is, it's more than one person making this decision. I don't think, I don't think, you know, Baker Mayfield is out there. Like, I don't, I don't want to play. And Kevin Stefanski is like, you know, good luck. Anyway, you're doing it anyway. I don't think that's the case. I think Baker Mayfield wants to play. He wants to show his toughness and he is a tough guy. You saw against the Bengals. It's not like he wasn't banged up in that game. He still had that shoulder injury going through the foot thing. The knee injury is new to the base of the past. So that was the Patriots game. So that's new. And then you saw how that affected him through that game and into this Sunday game against the lions. But, you know, he's, he showed that he can still perform with that shoulder injury with, with, you know, his body banged up. He can make some of those passes that we know him to make. He can sling the ball. We saw that, Huge pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, that, you know, he's still ha- – his arm is functioning, and, and it can't – he can be accurate. He can put the ball in the window that he needs to. He can get there. But when these injuries continue to pile up, that was that was the turning point, I think, that game, the game against the Bengals. It was like the turning point where I'm like, okay, well, he's getting more comfortable with that shoulder brace on there. It's starting to heal up a little bit, and he's – Probably, I mean, it probably doesn't feel great, but it's also not only with that shoulder, it's not only just about the pain that it's causing him. It was about getting used to the shoulder harness and the, and the brace that he's wearing because that will change your mechanics. It's going to change how your body is able to move and in turn will change the way you throw the ball and the way that you're able to, you know, move around. So I think that was a learning curve and I think he started to get on track and and then, you know, the injuries pile up and now he's got the heel injury and he's got a knee injury and these things are now you know taking parts of his game away in other ways first the shoulder limited the way that that left arm was able to move up and you know maybe how his body was able to extend in his throws Mm -hmm. and and he you know he pulled through that and got used to that harness and was showed that he can still throw but now you've got that knee injury and that limits the way that he's able to move around and his mobility and, you know, how he's looking in the pocket when, when he's stuck in the pocket, that's not the Baker Mayfield that you want to see. That's not, that's not what's going to get it done. And we saw that against the lions. He's just the, he needs that mobility. He needs to be able to roll out and that's when he plays his best. And so I think that knee injury, it, it was, you know, a week old, but not, not doing great. It didn't feel great. He, Talked about it all week that this is the most banged up he's ever been, probably in his career. And, you know, it was he was toughing it out. And that's the word toughing it out. You know, it's it's causing him discomfort. And even on Sunday against the Lions, you would see him after a play just kind of hobbling around out there, limping around, looking really stiff and just really uncomfortable. He looked like he was in a lot of pain. And so I think. I think he's trying to prove that he's tough enough to get past it. And he's, he's trying to fight to the bye week. 
He's been trying to fight the bye week <laughs> really since the Cardinals, since week six against the Cardinals when he took that uh, that hit and, you know, exaggerated the the shoulder injury he had in week two. I think that's kind of been like the, the goal is bye week just to get some rest. And so I think that he's putting himself out there as like he's never going to say no. I, and I mean, unless it got horrifically bad. I don't think I can never picture Baker Mayfield with the kind of person and the kind of quarterback he is telling Kevin Stefanski, no, can't do it won't do it. So I think he's making himself available. Like, yeah, I'm, I can tough it out. I'm good. And then they're talking to the medical staff and the medical staff is saying, you know, like, I mean, he doesn't need to be out. I mean, he can play. Now, I don't know if they're telling them that they, that he should play. I don't know that everyone in that organization is saying, you know, he should play just that he can. And I think that's when it comes to Kevin Stefanski as the final decision maker. And well, if he can play, he will play. We see that with multiple players dealing with injuries. If you can play, you probably will play. Maybe it's limited snaps. It doesn't work that way for Baker Mayfield in their quarterback situation. Uh, and Kevin Stefanski even said he didn't really consider Case Keenum coming in uh, Sunday, even though he was warming up on the sideline, which I think is something you, he probably – I would have liked him to consider, honestly, with the way that Baker Mayfield looked out there, just not even performance-wise, just comfort-wise, just – the level of pain he looked like he was in, I would I would have liked for Kevin Stefanski to to have maybe thought about oh maybe maybe Baker Mayfield should rest, especially in a game against the Detroit Lions. I think that was the opportunity of a lifetime for you to get your quarterback a little extra rest. But they didn't go with it. They didn't do it. And I think Kevin Stefanski is making the final decision. I think a lot of the decision is the medical staff that is telling them he can play. Uh, I don't know what their opinions are, but just medical wise, you know, a bruised knee, he can play through that. A, you know, a, a bruised foot and he can play through that non-throwing shoulder he can play through it now they're all stacking up and he can play through it should he play through it I don't think that would should have been the case on Sunday it happened now it's very tough to say that he's not going to play uh this Sunday against the Ravens it's a huge game competition level much higher than the Lions do you want to put Case Keenum in there over Baker Mayfield? If you didn't think that Case Keenum was better to be in that situation than Baker Mayfield as banged up as he was against the Lions, I don't know that you I don't think that you make that decision against the Ravens, which is unfortunate for Baker Mayfield, but he is toughing it out and he's ready to play on Sunday. He said he's ready to play on Sunday against the Ravens. So he he said he expects to be better uh better than he has been in weeks and progress with that look with those injuries better than and feel better than he has in weeks. So I guess we'll see, but I think it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of areas uh, and a lot of people making those decisions and it ultimately comes down to Kevin Stefanski, but I don't, he's not the only one making this decision. I think Baker Mayfield wants to play medical staff is clearing him. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a strange situation to be in um, for the Browns. You, you look, you look around the league and other quarterbacks, have some injuries and you know they're on to their backup like right away just bench him try to heal up and then it's not the case here in Cleveland um but I mean Kevin Stefanski if Kevin Stefanski's confident and Baker Mayfield going out there no matter how banged up he is that's that ultimately does come down to him and as the final say 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so you think it's it's Kevin's final say, which is fine. I mean, I just have been curious about it. I mean, especially when he said it's an organizational decision, it feels like there's a lot of hands in the middle of that pot yeah. of you know that decision. I, I'm I'm trying to find an answer on it too because you know we're all watching it and he's struggling, and you watch how the Cardinals are handling you know handling Kyler Murray and, and immediately not forcing that you know that guy to get out there and play and giving him a chance to rest up. So I you know, it's also different situations. They're playing a lot better football, their records better, they're safer. So I'm trying to give fans as many perspectives about this thing as possible and and it's it's a strange thing. So let me ask you this, do you think the rest of the year uh, collectively offensively they figure this thing out? They're in a rut. They've not scored uh, many points. You know, they've gone if you take out the Bengals game, it's been a lot of struggle, you know, and the Bengals game went well, which is great. You know, I, I'm always kind of that guy who hates if you remove the good, look at all the bad. But <laughs> but other than that game, it has been a struggle. And, you know, I'm kind of curious if you think the rest of the way they have enough to make a playoff push here, or do you think ultimately it will, it'll, it'll end up just being, the, the, they just don't end up clicking enough this year. They don't have enough firepower. Their health hasn't been good enough that they don't just... You know, between Baker's injuries and everything else, there's just not enough there. I don't know that they're going to go, you know, lights out, 100% figured it out, here it is. I do think that they they have, they have enough ability to make things click. I think a lot of right now is you can't eliminate, and I know everyone hates, you know, blaming injuries, but... It's not just Baker Mayfield playing through injury. It's the kinds of players that have been out, who have been out with injury. Losing Nick Chubb and Demetric Felton, at the same time you still have Kareem Hunt on IR, and you don't have Jack Conklin, he's on IR. And I these these are easy to forget as the weeks go on that oh, he's not there because they should be able to do the next man up thing and step up. And then sometimes the players look good while they're doing it. Like Dearness Johnson really stepped up in the absence of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt uh, against the Broncos. That was, that was one of those things where it was like, you can blame, blame injuries, but it's the next man up. You've got a roster full of other guys who are playing in the NFL for a reason. They have to step up. Uh, I, so I, I don't know. I do think that injuries are something that should be looked at with how this offense is running and, and, when it comes to the run game, you get Nick Chubb back and you look look how impactful he was against the Lions. That was a huge game. That was the identity of this Browns offense is really establishing that run, right? And now you're hopeful that against the Ravens, you know, 
Kevin Stefanski said today that Nick, or Kareem Hunt is uh, expected to come to, back to practice this week. Uh, and so and then you, you just they're hopeful that he'll be able to play on Sunday against the Ravens. And so if you get him back and he's activated, you've got that one-two punch back with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That can't be, you know, undervalued. You have to appreciate what that is for the offense and, and how that really impacts how defenses have to look at the Browns offense. Uh, and then not to mention the protection on the O-line and the run blocking that you get with the line as a full healthy unit. You know, Blake Hance stepping in when he like when it's his turn, he, he's a solid piece that can be plugged in. Um, but I mean, he's no Jack Conklin. He's not there yet. That's not who he is. Jack Conklin is a huge piece of this line. And I think even the in the when they're playing well, these plug and play pieces, you know, Blake Hans fills in, James Hudson fills in. They can fill in and they can do their jobs in a way that the Browns are looking for them to do. But overall, how I see the offensive line is almost like a chain. And you know, they play their best when they're the one healthy unit, the starting unit that we that we know works well with Jedrick Wills, Wyatt Teller, Joel Batonio, Jack Conklin, and JC Trenner in the center. But when one of those guys goes out, they can plug it in. Is the chain as strong as it was with this new link? Maybe not because, yes, they practice together as starters, but that's not how practice we, – we all know that. Like, you know, the starters are going to get the most reps together. And then, of, of course, you know, your backups will get some reps starting just to keep them fresh. But that's not what they are intended to do, that you can't spend the entire time practicing all together because you have to practice with your starting group. And so I think there's that missing bit of chemistry and – you know, awareness of what, you know, what one person's going to do playing off each other. And so getting them back, I think, will allow the Browns offense to start clicking a little bit better. They got the offensive line back healthy. If Jack Conklin comes back this week as he's expected to, and you can work that unit as a whole, Baker Mayfield might feel a little bit more comfortable back there and not maybe be concerned about getting hit. You can see his almost, you can almost see that level of frustration he has, you know, in, in the style of play that he's putting out there being not, I don't want to say afraid because I don't think that he's afraid, but aware that he might get hit. He, he, there, there could be contact and not wanting any more injuries than he already is dealing with. And he's already banged up. So I think that would provide a level of comfortability to him and a sense of, you know, added protection to make him feel more confident back there. Um, And then that one, two punch with Kareem hunt coming back. And then I think at the same time with this, the Browns offense running, you know, using 13 personnel so much and really utilizing these tight ends, I think, I, and and you probably know the numbers more than I do. You're, you're really big on your film analysis, but I, I would say that that's like, that's being used more than I've seen it with this team. And we know Kevin Stefanski loves his tight ends and, and tight end usage, but you know, that's, that's been very prominent. I think the offense has been leaning on that, especially, you know, you, Odell Beckham Jr. is gone. That re- the receivers aren't really looking like they're involved in much of the offense. I mean, they are, but not in the way that you would expect some wide receivers to be involved. And so I think that you know the team getting used to running with all these tight ends on the field and using them to the extent that they are, I think that you kind of have to figure that out. I think these players are figuring out, like, okay, maybe I'm not going to get the ball as much and might be a little frustrating at times. 
I think as the season goes on, Baker Mayfield gets healthy and, you know, these players return. I think you can mix that offense up a little bit and they should not that they will, that they should be able to mix that offense up a little bit more and get those receivers involved or receivers involved more. And, you know, maybe Baker Mayfield being a little healthier if he enters the bye and, you know, kind of feels a little bit better after that is able to make some more deep passes and, and get more accurate with his ball because he hasn't been his accurate self that we know him to. So that's another thing with it. you know, using deep threads, you know, you can do that all day, but if Baker Mayfield's not his ac- most accurate, then do you, do you go that route or do you just, you know, stick with screens and you stick with your tight end usage? Uh, so I think that a lot of how the offense runs from this point on will be, based off of the health of the team and based off of the way that this team rallies around kind of how Kevin Stefanski has decided is the best way to handle all of these different problems and issues health-wise and personnel-wise, how he's choosing to handle it. I think a lot of it will be come down to the how those players are reacting to that too. So, so I, I, it's a lot to take in and a lot to – evaluate as like, is this going to get better? Can this get better? But I do think that ultimately they can. And I think that the, the players on this team have the mentality that, you know, as, as, and as, as frustrating as things might be for them, I think they have the mentality that they'll get on board with it. They just have to, you know, really get on board with it and kind of stick it out and watch it fix itself almost and, and help, help, in the, in the long run, fix it with their ability to get on board with what's going on. Okay, we'll close with this question. Um, you give me, you give me, um, you know, your gut feeling here. One, one word. Okay, does mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield make it to a second contract in Cleveland? One word, no explanation. Yes. Okay, fair enough. You heard it from her, Cameron Justice. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your insight. And remind everybody, if you can, Cameron, where you can be found. Find me at on all social at Cami Justice, and then you can read my work at news5cleveland.com. Thanks again, Cameron. Thank you. Big thanks to Cameron Justice for coming on tonight's show, giving us uh, some responses to her insights, being close to the Cleveland Browns, what she thinks is going on. I think it's quite good to get as many perspectives on this thing as possible. There's a lot of moving parts. I'm not sure any one person knows what exactly is going on with some of the decision-making, who's in charge of some of those decisions. So I do want to bring in many different people to sort of hash out how it could be coming to the point that it's coming to. So Cameron had great insights. Appreciate her time. Appreciate you guys for being supportive, listening to the pod, download subscriptions. You know they mean the world to me. Always say it every time. They really do. They keep this thing moving along. We will have some episodes of Brownstown crossing over. Andre Knott does a great job. They're going to be crossing over into this feed before too long because you should listen to that show if you have not already done so. So make sure you check that out. Everybody have a great Tuesday. Make sure you check out the OBR for all the latest Browns news, including the Newswire and much, much more throughout the day. Have a great Tuesday again, and we sign off with Go Browns.